Good morning. I'm so glad to welcome each one of you here to the Houghton Wesleyan Church as we come together as God's people to learn from him, to worship him, and to fellowship with him and with one another. Please stand and join me in the call to worship, which will be seen on the screens. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. He has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. Please pray with me. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.
Amen. We have come to worship our Creator, our Lord, our God, and we're glad that you are here. I want to invite you to take a few moments to share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. As we gather for worship uh, each week, it is, it's a good thing to uh, come in humble adoration and worship and to acknowledge how much we owe God. We come today from a week of all kinds of things that have happened in our lives, some good, some not so good. And so as we begin worship this morning, uh, as we continue in worship this morning, I invite you to join me in the prayer of confession as we uh, open our hearts to God and acknowledge our need for Him As we come and worship today, let us pray together. Almighty God, you love us, but we have not loved you. You call, but we have not listened. We walk away from neighbors in need, wrapped in our own concerns. We subtly condone evil, prejudice, warfare, and greed. God of grace, help us to admit our sin. So that as you come to us in mercy, we may repent, turn to you, and receive forgiveness. Through Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Amen. I'm reading from Psalm 128. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your sons will be like olive shoots around your table. Thus is the man blessed who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion all the days of your life. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem. And may you live to see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. As we continue in worship, we have the opportunity to pray together. And if you would like to use the altar rail as your place of prayer, please come and join me. Father, we come today in need of you. We thank you for your grace in our lives, for your mercy, for your goodness, for all the ways in which you pour out blessings upon us. As we gather in this hour of worship, 
there are many needs and burdens in our lives and in the lives of those we love. We pray, Father, that you will hear our prayers for healing, for forgiveness, for restoration, for openness to you and your spirits and to each other. In this moment of silence, as we contemplate our needs, hear our prayers as we lay all of our needs before you. Father, we pray for our world. In a world of violence and hatred, in a world of prejudice, in a world of pain, in a world in which we hurt one another, take advantage of one another, ignore one another. We need your grace in our world. Father, in this moment of silence, hear our prayers for this country and the nations of the world and the needs and the burdens that are present in each of them. Father, we pray for our church. We pray, Father, that the DNA of this congregation would be yours. As we claim and and embrace our adoption as daughters and sons, let us know your peace, your grace, your mercy, your power, that we might trust you more. We might know you more intimately, that we might be your face, your hands, your feet, your presence among people who desperately need you. Father, we offer this prayer as we do all of our prayers through the name and power and grace of Jesus Christ, the one who teaches us the model for prayer which now we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. stand and sing with us. Righteous ruler of the
this time we'd like to invite the children to be dismissed to Children's Church.
Please be seated. There are things about church and Christian teaching and tradition that I suspect sometimes makes us a little nervous. You may have felt a little bit nervous, a little out of sync this morning because we've changed the order of worship around a little bit. And part of that's because we're having baptism, baptism this morning and uh, just to make things a little different. But when things change like that, it just makes us a little uncomfortable. I would guess that some of you might be feeling a little bit uncomfortable about me walking so close to this water here this morning as well. And I'm actually a little bit uncomfortable about that, so I'll probably be hanging over this way a little bit as we talk. There are things about church teaching that makes us uncomfortable. I I don't really like talking or thinking about hell. I'd much rather that we just avoided that subject and act like it didn't exist. But of course, if you read the scriptures... You can't get away from the reality of that. But sometimes the things that make us nervous are not things we're trying to avoid, but they're actually things that we're trying to embrace. We're just uncomfortable about the way they may be presented. One of the, one of the hymns that I love is, is, There's a Wideness in God's Mercy. And, and it is a, a hymn that talks about the width and the breadth and the depth of God's love and grace and mercy to people. But the fourth verse of that hymn says, If our love were but more simple, we would take him at his word, and our lives would be all sunshine in the sweetness of our Lord. Now, when we sing that, we get a little bit nervous about that because it implies that if you love God, life will be sunshine. There will be no problems. You've eliminated pain and hardship and struggle and and all the things that, quite frankly, are real life. And so we don't sing that hymn a lot anymore unless we put a disclaimer of some kind in the bulletin about it. It makes us nervous. Some of the teachings of Scripture make us nervous. God says to Joshua in the first chapter, he's trying to to get Joshua psyched up to, to lead Israel after Moses. And he says, if you do what I tell you, you will be prosperous and successful. And people have taken that Scripture and made a formula out of it. You obey God, you've got prosperity and success. And we get uncomfortable with that. But even Jesus, you know, he says to his disciples, you ask, you receive. Seek, you'll find. Knock, door will be open to you. And we make prayer into a formula. Jesus himself, he says, whatever you ask for, I'll give it to you. And we get uncomfortable about those passages because we need them in the context. And we, we, wanna, we want people to understand that it's not exactly that simple. I think Psalm 128 is another one of those passages that makes us a little bit uncomfortable about how it presents the Christian, how it presents our faith and as followers of God and for, for the, as the psalm is written to the Jews. There is a sense, and listen to this again. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways. You'll eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your sons will be like olive shoots around your table. Thus is the man blessed who fears the Lord. And there is, when we read that, we find we, our mind automatically wants to make a formula out of that. Do what's right, you get blessed. 
do what's right, life is good and easy. And we shy away from that. But the reality is, there is a correlation between living the way we're supposed to and the spiritual status of our family and our life. There is a correlation between those two things. Now, it's not a formula. You know, formulas are precise. If you add this to this, you'll get this. And every time you do it, that'll be the result. This is a correlation. And correlations are about tendencies. And the truth is, there is a correlation between living the way we are called to live and the spiritual condition of our families and our lives. Why is that? Well, because children tend to, to follow things, the ways in which life is modeled for them. Children tend to think that, that what their parents do is right. Children tend, tend to do what they see lived out in front of them. And we all, we all have experienced that. One of the things that Cindy and I, when we counsel couples in premarital counseling, is we, we woven throughout a lot of the discussions, is the sense of the, the couple's idea of what's normal. And what we you know, almost always find is that everybody has a different opinion of what's normal. What you grew up with is what's normal. And one of the ways that we talk about that is, is about how you celebrate holidays. For instance, Christmas. Some families uh, put up a tree the day after Thanksgiving. Other families put up a tree Christmas Eve. Some families open gifts Christmas Eve. Other families Christmas Day. Other, others on Epiphany 12 days later. Some families, when they're opening gifts, sit around the room and you hand one gift to a person and they meticulously open it up and everyone oohs and ahs. If it's clothing, they try it on. If it's some uh, toy or game, they mess around with it for a little bit and you've got five or ten minutes of gift. And then you move to the next person to do the same thing and the thing takes a whole day. And then you got other families where they lay the pile of gifts in front of everybody and they say, go, and stuff's flying everywhere. And what I find is that it, it, there's no right or wrong to any of those traditions, but it's what you think of as normal. And, and, and as couple, couples come together and they have this idea in their mind of this is what, how you do Christmas. And, this other, and the other person is saying, no, no, this is how you do Christmas. And you have conflict. Because it's, we, we do what's been modeled for us. And what we view as normal is what's been modeled for us. And the psalmist is trying to help us understand that the way we live our lives has a direct correlation on the kind of spiritual condition that's going to be a part of our children and the people we influence. In our families, the places where we work, the church. We're influencing other people by how we live. We're creating a spiritual atmosphere by how we live. There is a direct correlation. Children that grow up in homes that honor God are much more likely to live a life of honoring God. And children that grow up in a home that rejects God and ignores God are much more likely to reject and ignore God. And what makes us nervous is that we tend to see these things as formulas rather than correlations. Because there are always exceptions. There is no perfect formula. And the longer I live, the more I realize the scripture does not give us formulas. The problem with formulas is that then all we have to do is get the formula right and everything is fine. 
And God's much more interested in relationship than formulas. But there is this correlation. But there are always exceptions. There are, there are children that come out of homes that have honored God and reject God. And there are children that come out of homes that have ignored and rejected God and live awesome spiritual lives for God. There are always exceptions. I heard David Siemens say once that the only couple that had a perfect parent still ate the fruit from the tree. And so there is, there are always exceptions, but there is this correlation of truth. When you think about the people you're influencing, your children, your friends, your co-workers, the, the people in this congregation, what we see in them is often a reflection of what they're seeing in us. When we watch our children behave in ways, especially as they get older, and, and they behave in ways and, they, and they, they, they choose directions that concern us, is there anything in us that says, whoa, maybe I need to rethink how I am influencing them? Because what we do as a part of, the, as followers of God, we are, we are revealing to people, whether we like it or not, what does Jesus look like? What's important to God? What is God like? And the psalmist says the atmosphere we want to create is this atmosphere of fearing God. He says people will be blessed. Your family, spiritual condition, the correlation to that is about fearing God. Now fear takes on a, we have a lot of different meanings. Fear can be being scared to death of something or someone. Being frightened. That, you know, you, the hair stands up on the back of your neck and, and your blood pressure begins to rise. You are scared to death. There's that kind of fear. There is the fear of the unknown. The fear, the anxiety and worry that, that creeps into us because we're not sure what that test is going to reveal. We're not sure if we're, if we're going to get that job. We're not sure if we do get the job, if we can do it. We're, we're not sure where this relationship is headed. There is, there is that sense of fear that really is anxiety and apprehension. And, and there is healthy fear. You know, we don't always connect fear and good, but there are a lot of things in life that are good because of fear. We connect those together. It's fear that prevents us from running without looking out onto a busy interstate. It's fear that, that prompts us to wear a helmet when we ride a bike or a motorcycle. It's fear that, that causes us to stop when the light is red instead of shutting our eyes and just driving through it. Right? I mean, fear does that. It may be fear that, that keeps you from speeding on the highway because you never know who's going to be around the corner when you come to the next turn. Fear can be healthy. And then there is this fear that is really awe. It is respect. It is, it is a positive feeling about someone in such a way that, that whatever they like, you want to like. Whatever they do, you want to do. Whatever is important to them, you want it to be important to you. And that's what the psalmist is talking about. This fear, some translations say respect God. It is doing what God wants. It is having a passion for God. It is putting God at the place of the most important being in our lives. 
That's what the psalmist is saying. That's how we live. That's what will bring blessing. That's the correlation. So when we think about our, our walk with God, we think about how we live our lives. Do we have that kind of passion for God? When we come to a crossroads in our lives and we know the right thing to do that God wants and the wrong thing to do that he want, doesn't, is there a healthy fear of God and awe, a respect for God that says, I'm going to choose this way because that's what God wants to do? Is there a passion that wells up, up within us that we want what God wants? We want to reflect God every way possible. We want the heart of God to be so ingrained into us that as much as possible, that's what people see. The problem we have with fear and respect and talking in these terms is that we often morph into legalism and rules. And we think if we've just obeyed the right rules, then everything is fine. If If we've just towed the line, then everything is good. And, and that's what happens to, to people through the centuries. Something that people that start out passionate about God soon create rules. And the rules become more important than the passion. We see it over and over and over again. We're not talking about rules. We're talking about a heart desire. It's not just obedience. It's why we obey. You can fake obedience. We, we can all fake obedience. I mean, you know, the, the old story of the little boy that was, was being punished and told to sit in the chair, and he said no. And his dad said, sit in the chair. He said, no, sit in the chair. No, finally put him in the chair. And the little boy crossed arms and said, I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. You know, we can do that. In fact, we are pretty good at doing that. It's why we obey. It's the passion within us about obedience. And often that comes out most clearly in our relationships and how we treat people. Particularly how we treat people that can't do anything for us. In Leviticus, God says to the people, be careful the way you treat people who are blind and deaf. And he ends that by saying, fear the Lord your God. Later in Leviticus, he says, how you tr- be careful how you treat each other. Fear the Lord your God. Fearing God has a lot to do with how we treat other people. Particularly people that we find difficult to treat well. The hard people in our lives. The people that rub us the wrong way. The people who've hurt us. The people who, are, who we feel are against us. It is so hard. And it's a process most of the time. But is there a passion in our hearts to want to love them? To want to care for them. When I come to verses 5 and 6 in this, in this psalm, the psalmist turns the pronouns around and he says, May the Lord bless you from Zion all the days of your life. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem and may you live to see your children's children. 
And he turns it around from this is the correlation to this is what I want for you. This is a benediction. This is a blessing pronounced upon them. And it strikes me that one of the most profound ways to exude this kind of fear and respect for God and the way we treat each other is living with a desire of wanting other people to be blessed by God. And sometimes wanting that is easier than other times. One of the tests of whether we are truly fearing God is do we ask God to bless other people? And the follow-up question is, do we mean it when we ask it? Sometimes you have to start with just the words. Sometimes all you can say is the words and the heart has to follow. But is there anything in us that, that wants God's blessing on other people, even if we don't feel like we're being blessed at all? This is one of the great tests of, of what it means to fear God. That we, we are like Christ self-emptying, self-sacrificing. We're thinking more about others than about ourselves. And we're asking God to bless other people even when we are struggling to really want that. Even when we aren't feeling blessed by God as we would desire. When we fear God, we want that for people. I'll be be a little transparent with you this morning. Sometimes it's hard for me to want God to bless other people, other pastors in their ministry. When it feels like we're not getting that same blessing. It is so easy to feel jealous, envious. And in those moments, you have to come face to face with the reality that if I truly want a passion for God, then somehow that has to get broken. Say, Lord, bless them, whatever happens to us. Pour out the fullness of your blessing on that church and that ministry and that person, no matter what happens to us. And it's hard. It's hard. But it's part of the process of of growing and deepening that sense of passion and fear and respect for God. And the result of that is not just it's a good thing to do. But the psalmist tells us when we engage in that kind of life, we then open ourselves to receive God's blessings. I have this image in my mind of, of God chomping at the bit to just pour out blessings on us. But because we're so wrapped up in ourselves, we've closed off our ability to receive them. I forget exactly who it was who said it, but he said, if there can be any disappointments in heaven, the greatest disappointment might be That when we discover all of the ways in which God wanted to bless our lives, but because we were so self-absorbed, we wouldn't let him. We missed it. And we let go. 
We have this passion for God, and then we experience his blessing. And I find it interesting that the very last phrase of this psalm is, peace be upon Israel. And I'm convinced that one of the nuances that he's wanting to communicate is, when we pray for God to bless each other, you can't help but experience peace. I mean, it's just the natural result of letting go. It's the natural result of of releasing our jealousy and our anger and our hurt and all of that and begin to pray for God to bless other people, there is peace among God's people. We experience individually, we experience it corporately. There is peace. And I think the primary reason why Christians keep fighting with each other inside a particular church and outside of it is because we are so self-absorbed. And if we could just let go, empty ourselves, focus on God, be passionate about Him, we would find that there would be a whole lot less fighting and a whole lot more peace. Because that's God's plan for His people. I really think that the the core of our struggle is that We're not convinced that God truly wants to bless us. I think we tend to have a mindset of we deserve blessing and whenever we don't get it, something's wrong with God. When the reality is it's exactly the opposite. None of us deserve blessing. The miracle is not that sometimes we don't get blessed. The miracle is that we get blessed at all. The miracle, the great miracle is that God, despite all that we do to reject him and all the ways in which we are so self-centered, in spite of all of it, God keeps pouring out blessings upon us because he loves to do that. He loves to bring joy to his people. He loves to bring grace to his people. He loves for us to experience the fullness of who he is and who he created us to be as individuals and as a church. The beginning of this psalm, the heading of this psalm, calls it in this translation a song of ascents. It, it really just simply means some of the translations say it's a, it's a psalm for pilgrims going to worship God in Jerusalem. This is a psalm that is intended to help us prepare to worship God. And it's telling us the best preparation for worshiping God experience the blessing of God is to let go to release our lives and to give ourselves fully passionately to God and his desires for us but it's not just about worshiping one moment it's about worshiping a moment that changes our lives it's about worshiping a moment that leads us to worship for a lifetime in a few moments Eli and Claire are going to come and be baptized here. And as I've talked with them and as I've talked with many of you who've been baptized, as important as this moment is, as significant as this moment will be for them, and hopefully as unforgettable as this moment will be, it's not just about this moment. It's about this moment propelling them throughout the rest of their lives. That when they come to those wise in the road... They remember this moment and they remember their baptismal vows and they choose the way of God. 
And the psalmist wants us to understand it's about a life, not just a moment. So as you think about where you are, your fear, respect, quotient with God, how it's reflected in your relationships, how it's reflected in your home or your place of work or this church, how it's reflected in in how we treat each other. Is there one thing that you sense God saying to you, let's work on that? Is there one relationship? Is there one attitude? Is there, is there one circumstance that God is saying to you as you've been listening, you hearing God saying to you, let's work on that. Let me encourage you to say, okay. And find the joy of God changing us and working in us and recreating us. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to us in spite of ourselves. And we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will speak deep into our hearts, our minds, our our souls. You know that one place this morning that you've put your finger on. Give us courage to respond to you in a sense of respect and awe and worship and fear that we might know more and more of your blessings in our life. We pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. stand as we sing together. God, my God, I cry out, your beloved needs you now. God, be near, call my fear, and save my
is to the maker of the mountains I can't climb. I will lift my eyes to the power of the ocean's raging fire. I will lift my eyes to the Please be seated. We'll ask you guys to come up. In keeping with the example of Jesus, you have presented yourselves this day that you might receive the sacrament of baptism. Baptism is not itself a door to salvation, but it is a significant response to Christ's gift of salvation that you have received. He proclaims to the world that you've taken Christ Jesus as your, the Lord of your life and that it is your desire to obey him always. Do you confess Jesus Christ to be your crucified Lord and risen Savior? If so, answer, I do. Do you this day surrender your life to Jesus Christ? And do you desire to be baptized as a witness of Christ's grace to you? If so, answer, I do. Is your baptism a witness of your desire to surrender your life to Christ and to live in the power of his spirit? If so, answer, it is. Is it your desire to connect yourself to the church of Jesus Christ and to lead others as God enables you to relationship with him? If so, answer, it is. I want to invite you to take your hymnals and turn to the Apostles' Creed that is in the inside front cover. And we're going to read this together. Let us declare our Christian faith in the words of this historic affirmation. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Holy 
because I believe Jesus died on the cross and three days later he rose from the dead. I also wanted to because Jesus did this and I want to become more like him every day. Eli Pelletier, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My name's Claire Stewart, and um, I've been blessed to grow up in a home of believers, and I can't remember a time when faith in Christ was not a part of life. When I was 13, I made a personal decision to accept Christ's gift of salvation, bought for me on the cross, and commit my life to serving the kingdom of God. At the time, I felt that I did not understand baptism enough, and there never seemed to be a time to learn. God has continued to draw me closer to himself over the years and has instilled in me an ever-deeper faith that yearns for understanding. But he has also taught me that he is God, and I am not. And while I am called to seek knowledge and truth, I must acknowledge, as Job did, that God's work and purposes are often beyond my power to understand. And it is for me to trust him, so that his peace, which transcends all understanding, can guard my heart and my mind forever. Steward, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We now have the privilege of giving back to God through our tithes and offerings. And as the ushers are coming forward, let's stand and sing the doxology together. Praise God from
be seated. Before I sing this song, I just wanted to share a little bit about the background of the song. It made it much more meaningful to me. Uh, the author of this song had lost a close family member in a, uh, as a firefighter who had died in the line of duty. He had to, give, he had to speak at the funeral uh, with 3,000 people there. And he said he was just sitting there and, and wondering, what am I going to say about God being still in control? And uh, he said that uh, we didn't need, he didn't need just to cross paths with God. He needed a collision with God to, to heal him. And uh, you'll, you'll see that reflected in this song. Why a question that is never far away, but healing doesn't come from the explained. Jesus, please don't let this go in vain. You're all I have, all that remains, so here I am, what's left of me. Sometimes I feel it's all that I can do. Pain so deep that I can hardly move. Just keep my eyes completely fixed on you. Lord, take hold and pull me through. So here I am, what's left of me. the moment when humanity is overcome by majesty when grace is ushered in for good and all our scars are understood when mercy takes its rightful place and all these questions fade away when out of weakness we must bow and hear you say it's over now Take this heart 
and breathe it back to life. I fall into your arms, open wide, when the hurt and the healer collide. Jesus, come and break my fears. Wake my heart and take my tears and find your glory even here when the hurt and the healer collide. Jesus, come and break my fears. Awake my heart, take my tears, and find your glory even here. Please stand and join us in singing our closing hymn.
Please be seated for just a moment. Light has always symbolized the presence of God. In the Old Testament, the command was that the lights in the tabernacle and the temple would be burning continuously as a, as a symbol, a sign that God was there continually. And we light candles in, in church as a symbol of, of God's presence with us. And so as these two come and stand here before you, we're, they, we've given them a baptism candle. And this is uh, something that we want them to, to use and I told them to take it out every year on July 21st and remember this day. I told them if they can convince their family and friends to throw them a party, give them gifts and a cake, that's even better. But something that, so that it's just a, a reminder that this was about God in their lives. And as you and I see this light that they hold, I'm praying that it will remind us of God in our lives. And Jesus, who said, I am the light of the world, astonishingly says to his disciples, you are the light of the world. Go share your light in the darkness. So we're going to light their candles this morning as, as a symbol of the light that is shining in their lives through their baptism and through their, all of their days. And as the service is concluded, I want to invite those of you who can to come up front to uh, congratulate them. Um, and we don't normally do baptisms on Sunday morning, but both Claire and Eli, their families are relocating. Uh, and so they wanted to be baptized here. They've been in this church a long time uh, before they left. And so it's a great privilege to be a part of that in their lives today. I do want to remind you that uh, we are doing sign-ups for the Pictorial Church Directory in the lower foyer. If you haven't yet signed up, please do that before you leave this morning. Please stand for the benediction. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and that you are the light of the world. Go forth in his grace to shine your light in the darkness of our world. Amen. Amen.